This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, a Russian fighter jet collides with a U.S. military drone over the Black Sea, forcing U.S. forces to crash the drone into the waters. The two sides accuse each other of wrongdoing. A heavy snowstorm across the northeastern U.S. causes power outages, dangerous driving conditions, flight cancellations, and school closures. Some areas have seen over 30 inches of snow. Drag queen events for kids are in the spotlight again. This time, it's New York Attorney General Letitia James in the hot seat with critics for hosting a drag story hour this weekend. Credit ratings agency Moody's changes its outlook for the U.S. banking system from stable to negative and places six banks under review for potential downgrades. Find out what the firm has to say about the health of the American banking sector. And the CDC reported last month that three in five teen girls feel sad or hopeless, and that's the highest in a decade. Why do boys seem to be less affected, and how can parents help? We spoke to a pediatrician. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today's Wednesday, March 15th. And first, we take a look at escalating tensions between the U.S. and Russia. The U.S. military says a Russian fighter jet collided with a U.S. military drone over the Black Sea yesterday. Now the two countries are each, each offering their account of the incident. Here's the story. The incident took place over the Black Sea near the Crimean Peninsula. At approximately 7.03 a.m. Central European time, one of the Russian Su-27 aircraft struck the propeller of the MQ-9, causing U.S. forces to have to bring the MQ-9 down in international waters. Several times before the collision, the Su-27s dumped fuel on and flew in front of the MQ-9 in a reckless and unprofessional manner. The Pentagon says the U.S. drone was conducting a routine intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance mission. They emphasized that U.S. military aircraft routinely fly throughout Europe to bolster collective defense. While intercepts in and of themselves are not that uncommon, uh, the fact that this type of behavior from these Russian pilots, that is uncommon and unfortunate and unsafe. There did not appear to be any communications between the aircraft before they collided. The Pentagon says it believes the Russian aircraft was also damaged but was able to land. Russia, on the other hand, denies that their fighter jet ever hit the U.S. drone or used any weapons. The Russian Defense Ministry said in a statement that Russian fighter jets went to intercept the drone because it was flying near Crimea. They claimed the U.S. drone violated international norms by keeping its transponders turned off and that the drone crashed by itself due to a sharp maneuver. The U.S. State Department summoned the Russian ambassador to the U.S. over the incident. don't want any confrontation between the United States and Russian Federation. We are in favor of pragmatic relations for the sake, for the interest of the uh, people of the United States and Russian Federation. Neither the U.S. nor Russia has recovered the drone from the Black Sea. This appeared to mark the first time since the height of the Cold War that a U.S. aircraft was brought down after an encounter with a Russian warplane. Next, we hear from an analyst on the incident. Tom Carrico is a senior fellow with the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington. Here's his take on what happened. 
This is a provocation. Uh, it's probably something of a test. Uh, the Russians, of course, don't like the fact that we're flying, admittedly, in international waters there, uh, and they're uh, expressing their displeasure. The Russians kind of think the Black Sea is their own lake. Legally speaking, it is international waters. Uh, they don't really like that fact, uh, but it, it certainly, from an international law perspective, uh, insulates the United States from any kind of allegation that we were uh, into Russian uh, airspace or something like that. I think number one is going to be the, the firmness and the clarity uh, with which the United States uh, responds, uh, identifying it. We don't want our own weakness or uh, indecision here to be perceived uh, by the Russians as an encouragement to try something else and test us on something else. Uh, you've had so many statements over the past year uh, about, you know, d defending uh, NATO territory and all these other things. We don't want any kind of uh, in the gray zone kind of activities to further test where exactly that line is. Russia's ambassador to the U.S. says there's a difference of opinion on, on the status of Crimea. He says since drones can carry bombs, the U.S. would probably take action if a Russian drone was flown near the U.S. A winter storm dumped heavy, wet snow in parts of the Northeast yesterday, causing power outages, widespread school closings, dangerous driving conditions, and flight cancellations. Here's NTD's Costum and S with the latest. The storm's path included parts of New England, upstate New York, northeastern Pennsylvania, and northern New Jersey. Snow totals by Wednesday were expected to range from a few inches to a few feet, depending on the area. More than 20 inches of snow fell in the Berkshires in western Massachusetts and northwestern Connecticut, and more than 8 inches in Albany, New York. Close to 270,000 homes and businesses were without power in the Northeast data shows, including in New York, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont and Connecticut. In Syracuse, New York, a Delta Airlines plane veered off a paved surface as it was about to take off on Tuesday morning. New York Governor Kathy Hochul declared a state of emergency on Monday night for 37 counties, covering Albany, central New York and the Mid-Hudson and North Country regions. According to official data, over 2,000 flights have been cancelled with Boston and New York City area airports experiencing the highest number of cancelled flights. But some are in high spirits despite the weather. Oh, finally, the big snowstorm of the year. I finally get to use my new snowblower that I bought from Scopefields. Best snowblower I got ever. Heavy snowfall is expected to end Wednesday, with some areas seeing snowfall of two inches per hour, accompanied by high winds making travel impossible in some areas. The weather was so bad today, but, you know, they affect everybody, you know. Uh, the problem is I can go to work because I can drive now to go to work. That's what the problem. But it's okay. Authorities warned that residents in coastal areas of the region could experience flooding due to heavy rains. The National Weather Service in New York said wind gusts could reach 50 miles per hour across Long Island and Lower Connecticut. Cost MNS, NTD News. Crews in Central California are racing to fix a broken levee. Floodwaters are slowly receding after it burst, but the water is still a couple of feet deep in some communities. 
it seems like the residents there can't catch a break. The area was hit with another storm yesterday. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the situation there. The latest in a series of atmospheric river storms continued to soak parts of California on Tuesday, bringing yet another deluge of rain to the already saturated state. Emergency crews scrambled to patch the Pajaro River's broken earthen levee with rocks and fill in Monterey County. Officials say around 21,000 people in the flood zone are still under evacuation orders or warnings. Some residents made their way home anyway to rescue pets that got left behind. On Friday afternoon, I put the full, uh, but maybe today he's almost empty. So he needed more food maybe for a couple of days. I don't know what time he's come back. The SPCA says over 100 animals have been rescued from the floodwaters since Saturday. They include dogs, cats, roosters, guinea pigs and birds. Many have been reunited with their owners or taken to shelter until they can be picked up. Tuesday's storm is the 11th atmospheric river of the season. More than 360,000 residences and businesses were without electricity across the state Tuesday afternoon. Around 30 million people in the state were under flood alerts. Another atmospheric river is expected to hit the West Coast next week. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Conservative activist Charlie Kirk spoke about American values yesterday. The event took place at the University of California, Davis. However, a mob of protesters tried to stop people from attending the event. And today's Daniel Monahan has more. Charlie Kirk is the co-founder of Turning Point USA. According to its website, it's a nonprofit organization whose mission is to identify, educate, train, and organize students to promote freedom. Kirk says that totalitarians and tyrants are the most bothered when they realize they can't break your will. He underlined the importance of showing up at conservative events, running for local office, pressuring school boards, and homeschooling children. He says conservatives have to justify their viewpoints at every single turn. You get tougher when you have to do that. You get tougher when you have to debate and you have to defend your positions. At every turn, the left is weak. They're weak and they are fragile. Weak, fragile people try to prevent other people from speaking. On The Family, Kirk called on young people to hold their parents in high regard. He says one of the reasons America is falling apart is because society is teaching children to no longer honor their parents. Do everything you possibly can to not allow divisive politics or different ideas to get in the way of your family relationships or your close relationships. On gender reassignment procedures for minors, Kirk pointed out that those suffering from gender dysphoria often also have other ailments, such as depression, schizophrenia, anxiety, and bipolar disorder. So again, wouldn't it be rational to do what is reversible, which is just cognitive behavioral therapy, not what is irreversible to a 12-year-old that might be going through a temporary puberty-driven crisis? Wouldn't that be a more loving, rational way of going about it? Kirk says teenagers make mistakes and go through identity crises and are susceptible to social contagions and peer pressure. Kirk also alluded to the vandalism that was committed to try to shut down the event. He says windows were broken, the building was spray painted, and people had stuff thrown at them. And the fact that this event is allowed to go on is a testament to the terrorists that we are not going to put up with force of trying to shut down people you don't like. Kirk says the successful holding of the event was a statement that, quote, speech wins in America. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. 
New York Attorney General Letitia James is hosting a drag story hour for children this weekend. The event is fueling anger over the use of taxpayer money on something critics feel is inappropriate. James will be joined by other city and state leaders. The event will take place in the West Village, where families with children are invited to watch drag performers read books. The co-sponsor is Drag Story Hour NYC. The organization sends drag performers into public schools and libraries where they interact with children as young as three. The news received backlash on Twitter. TV personality Judge Alex Ferrer tweeted, Grown-ups want to dress in drag, more power to them. But what is this fascination with wanting people to bring their kids to your drag show? While Steve Cortez, a former spokesman for President Trump's campaign, called such explicit targeting of children evil. And today reached out to the Attorney General for comment, but have not yet received a response. Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders has signed a new law on gender reassignment procedures. It makes it easier to sue those carrying out such treatments. The law would change the period for filing malpractice lawsuits. Anyone who received a gender reassignment procedure as a minor could file for up to 15 years after they turn 18. Under current Arkansas law, medical malpractice claims must be filed within two years of an injury. The law won't take effect until this summer. The bill was signed as a federal judge is considering whether to strike down another Arkansas law from 2021. That law would prohibit doctors from providing gender reassignment procedures, hormone therapy or or puberty blockers to anyone under 18. And to business news, credit ratings agency Moody's cut its outlook for the entire U.S. banking system yesterday. The investor service changed its outlook from stable to negative. This just after the firm placed six banks under review for credit rating downgrades. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the firm's revisions. Shares of regional banks rose on Tuesday after getting clobbered on Monday. But the outlook from Moody's suggests they aren't out of the woods yet. Six U.S. banks were put on review for potential downgrade. The banks are First Republic, Comerica, UMB Financial, Zions, Western Alliance, and Intrust Financial. The agency's decision comes after the downfall of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Most banks below those deemed too big to fail came under pressure from the Federal Reserve's interest rate hikes in their effort to curb inflation. Long-term treasury bonds that make up many banks' investment funds crumbled in value due to the rate hikes. The Consumer Price Index for February that came out Tuesday shows inflation is cooling. It's now sitting around 6%, down from its peak of close to 9% last June. But that's still triple where the Fed wants it. Moody's chief economist predicts the Federal Reserve won't raise interest rates until May if it needs to. My sense is that the Fed's going to pause. And that because the Fed just came up with extraordinary measures to restore confidence in the banking system, it wouldn't make much sense to. It would be surprising to me, despite the inflation, despite the strength of the economy, for them to actually raise interest rates. Moody's says it expects more banks to come under pressure, but that generally the American banking system is healthy, as it has enough cash and liquid assets to withstand an economic downturn. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Just ahead, Taiwan's vice president registered to run for president today. He pledges to protect the island from China. The CDC reported last month that three in five teen girls feel sad or hopeless, and that's the highest in a decade. Why do boys seem to be less affected and how parents can help after the break?
Welcome back. Taiwan's Vice President William Lai registered today to run for president and pledged to protect the island against China. He added that Taiwan stands at the front lines of democracy. Lai assumed chairmanship of the Democratic Progressive Party, or DPP, in January this year. For the 2024 election, relations with Beijing are likely to top the agenda, as they did in Taiwan's last election in 2020, when the DPP won easily by promising to stand up to China. Here's what Lai said today. Taiwan. Taiwan is in a key geographic position in the first island chain of the Indo-Pacific, directly facing China's verbal and military threats, diplomatic suppression through unscrupulous means, and the various threats of their double strategy of wanting peace and playing war. We have to be unified, continue to strengthen Taiwan, protect the democratic front line, and ensure Taiwan's security. Lai angered the Chinese regime in 2018 while he was premier, telling parliament he was a Taiwan independence worker and stood clear on his position that Taiwan was a sovereign, independent country. The CDC released a report in February that says that almost one in three teenage girls considered suicide in 2021, and that's up 60 percent since 2011. Not only that, but the amount of girls feeling sad is almost twice the rate when compared to teenage boys. We spoke to, to Dr. Meg Meeker, a pediatrician and best-selling author, to ask what is driving those numbers up. You know, I think it's multifactorial, and I was thinking about this yesterday. And I think it can be very overwhelming for parents. They, they see this and they think, oh my gosh, what can I do? Behind every depressed child, teenager, and thinking about suicide are several things. They're lonely. They feel that their healthy relationships are fractured because social media allows them relationships, but they're not real. And that's very hard for kids. I think that also a lot of kids feel um, there's no connection with their family. And so as a pediatrician, I exhort families to engage more with their teenagers on a real level. And that means for many parents putting your screen down and while you're in a room with your teenager, looking them in the eye, asking them questions and listen to them. Be there for them. You know, I will say every teenager, every senior in high school that I've seen with depression will say, I feel that no one sees me and no one hears me and no one really wants to be with me. And so we as parents are so busy. We don't communicate to our kids. Wow, it's great to see you. Let's do something together on the weekends. I miss connecting with you. And so I think there's that isolation that comes from having busy people in the home. Also, a lot of parents live with anxiety. We're wound up because we have our jobs. Uh, why do you think boys are not as affected at girl, as girls when it comes to this? Because I think that boys have the ability to remove themselves from a comment, a situation, and go, boy, that person's being an idiot. Girls, on the other hand, will see a comment in a relationship and they'll, they'll take it to heart. Gee whiz, if that person told me I have ugly hair, I must really have ugly hair. A boy, for instance, would say, oh, that's ridiculous. You're just stupid if you say that. So it's a little bit of the way kids, boys and girls handle um, situations around them.
oftentimes at that age, um, it's common that teens uh, build a little bit mm -hmm. of a wall around themselves. So what can parents do to help break down those walls and find that connection again? It's a great question. I think that one of the ways parents fail the most is that we listen to our kids in order to correct them. We don't listen to our kids in order to understand. And so I, I've done this with my kids. I'll ask them a question, how is school? Halfway through their answer, I'll be, I'll be figuring out what I'm going to say in response to their answer. Don't do that. Kids don't talk to their parents because they believe their parents aren't going to listen. And the truth is, we kind of don't. So when you ask your teenager a question, ask them a question that they're interested in and maybe a specific question and look them in the eye and stay quiet. Even if they tell you something shocking, don't respond. Say, you know, that's a really important point. I'd like to follow up with that tomorrow. And I think that when we really convince our kids that we like them and we really want to hear what they have to say, then they'll start talking to us. And that's why they'll talk to their friends because their friends really want to hear what they have to say. But teenagers believe we only ask questions in order to teach or correct. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, listen to understand, not to correct. I think that's a difference that correct. everybody can feel. So yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Meg Meeker. I really appreciate the insights today. Thank you for inviting me. Up next, Shen Yun is touring the world, bringing world-class Chinese classical dance to stage. We'll hear what the audience in Calgary, Canada has to say right after the break. Good to have you back. Audiences in Canada are leaving the theater a little bit lighter after seeing Shen Yun Performing Arts. Let's take a look at what they have to say about the classical Chinese dance and live orchestra. Shen Yun took the stage for four performances in Calgary, Canada from March 10th to 12th. Audiences said they felt enlightened. I mean, the dancing was absolutely phenomenal and the costumes were just fabulous, but the color that just brought it all together, it was really, really, really special. I love the fact that every dance has a, has, has a message, right? Which is really what the best art is about. It's about messages. Very uplifting and enlightening. What impressed me the most was the level of talent, the ex exquisite level of artistry and strength, as well as their ability to convey very touching stories through dance and music. Shenyun showcases classical Chinese dance coupled with a live orchestra and an animated backdrop. Audiences were impressed by the skills of the artists. I think the dances are very, very powerful. I love the male dancers a lot because they're both very graceful, but at the same time so strong and so expressive. I think the synchronicity of it was amazing that they're all like, exactly the same at exactly the same time like the, the the practice that must go into that is incredible the performance also shines a light on modern day issues in china so i was quite moved with the story depicting modern day china this story i think is very important and how courageous and also wonderful for shen yun to tell it in such an artistic and compassionate way 
Some said there is a spiritual presence throughout the performance and added that the values are universal. Anybody who comes would, yeah, would get something, out, a lot out of it. Um, I mean, intellectually and, you know, creatively. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful artistic show. As we enter this time in our history on Earth, the sense of the divine coming to provide hope and a sense of renewal, I think is one that we all need to hold on to. And so for Shen Yun to deliver this message and to, to make it very vocal, I think was a beautiful, beautiful gesture for all of us. Shen Yun is now performing in Edmonton, Canada and has five more Canadian cities on the tour this year, including Toronto. NTD News, Calgary, Canada. Ah, you know, Evelyn, it's really great that they can see a show with such beauty and then, like they said, to feel enlightened. What more do you want? I know, right? Oh, it, it sounds beautiful, I have to say. And it never gets old to hear those reviews every time. It's nice. Love watching the Shen Yun stories. Yes. All right, uh, that's it for today. And as usual, if you have anything to share with us, like feedbacks or stories, don't forget to write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.